I may. And man, it's been a wild ride. Um, I, I'm not asking to answer now, but I'm just thinking, like, I'm curious what people really have taken away from this message, this sermon series, I should say, because, uh, man, it's a heavy book, right? Right? It, it is. Um, but it's necessary for us to talk about, to go through, um, even if sometimes we got to, like, kind of grit our teeth and just bear it and go through it. But, um, I'm excited, and I also had a lot of trouble with this final message because there were four more chapters to the book of Judges after we concluded with Samson last week, uh, starting with chapter 17. And there's so much there that I so desperately wanted to go through with you, but I already struggled to keep it to like 45 minutes of a message, and I would have been here with three hours with you. Um, so we're really going to focus primarily on chapters 17 and 18, but what I cannot stress enough to you, please, 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 please read chapters 17 to the end. Read it. It is full of so much insight, um, and, and I just want you to read it, and maybe one day we'll just talk about it down the road. Um, but today, that being said, let's conclude our walk through the book of Judges. Um, and let's just take a moment. Let's kind of just get ourselves ready for this. If you can, place both your feet on the ground. Um, you can either put your hands together like this, go like this. But I'd encourage you, bow your heads, or at least close your eyes. And let's just take a moment to silence ourselves and prepare to hear and receive from the Holy Spirit. God, you've already been speaking and ministering to us. And there's more that you have to say and more that you're going to reveal. So I pray that you would humble our hearts now. Would they be open, softened, malleable, formable? Open our ears. Open our eyes, open our minds. And for this brief moment, close our mouths so that we can listen and receive. Thank you for this book. Thank you that we have seen clearly the goodness of God time and time again in spite of the prevalent shortcomings of our own kin of humanity. Thank you, good God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So the title of my message today is this. Are you worshiping your way or Yahweh? Are you worshiping your way or Yahweh? Um, a pretty prevalent challenge that I think many of us maybe have seen. And I'm sure many of us, probably all of us at some point in time, have fallen uh, into the snare of 
and gotten caught in is worshiping a way that we think best suits us. Right? I'll say I've been there. Um, I tell this one to Pastor Chase, and I might have told it all to you before, but I remember, I think maybe my sophomore or junior year at the University of Valley Forge, where God was shaping and forming me and, and transforming my life. I was so excited with all God was doing, but I just didn't like some of the, to be fair and, and honest, uh, some of the uh, maybe pomp and uh, a little bit of ego that I saw like on a worship team with praise. And it was just very, from what I could observe, like it seems a little bit vain, right? It, it, was, it felt like a show and not like worship. So we can be fair about that. Um, and I also need to be fair and honest about uh, me being extremely skeptical and not wanting to also see the good. And so I started to develop in my mind this idea of, you know, this is not God's way. God's way, in fact, doesn't need any of this. And I started having these ideas of, I'm going to start a church one day where we don't even sing songs. We're not going to sing songs because clearly that's not a way to worship God because clearly from what I see, it's all false. And for those of you that know any point of scripture, including the Psalms, the Psalms, that doesn't really blend with scripture in God's way. But I was certain because of some of the mishandling, the misuse that some people will make, um, I went all the way to the other end of of, of the spectrum and, and said no. And the reality is that's not true worship of God. The Bible's filled. Sing a, a joyful song to the Lord. Play the hymn, the, the hymn, play the tambrel, the harp, the drum, loud trumpets, David worshiping God, dancing as the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it's filled. But we can get so caught up with maybe our preferences or our dislikes that we start to form these ideas of what does it look like to worship God? And it becomes more influenced by what we want rather than what does the word of God say? And this is, um, in many different ways, not just in my particular example for me, there are tons of ways from denominations to different sects, um, even in the inter-religious discussion of, hey, we all worship our own way. That, that is really popular rhetoric, and a popular philosophy that many spiritual individuals will follow. All roads lead to the same destination on that peak. We're just getting there in different ways. As nice as that sounds, Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's why I've said before that when it comes to Jesus, he is extremely extremely inclusive of all because all are sinners but he is extremely exclusive about the way to the father so it's not okay you come as you are and then you continue to be as you are it's you come as you are but guess what i'm gonna radically transform your life and you follow my way so that that's kind of overarching the the, the jumping point of this conclusion to this sermon series because as you go and please again i implore you read these chapters read them a couple times i guarantee you're going to see some stuff you're like wow um 
as you read them, what, what I need you to understand is we're seeing in a very precise way how worship has gone astray. We've gone over these last couple of weeks looking at how people did what was right in their own eyes, and that's still the core as we're going to see here, but it really hones in on worship. It hasn't talked about worship really at all. We mentioned it hasn't mentioned the tabernacle. It hasn't mentioned the temple at all in the book of Judges up until what we've read so far. It doesn't mention it at all. It mentions a little bit of it at the beginning about burnt offerings and repentance once in the very beginning of the book, and then it's null, non-existent, and devoid. There's no form of proper, true worship. And here in these final concluding chapters of this book, you will read and you'll see it's all about ways of worship and the Levites. And if we'll talk about it in a minute, but when it comes to the Levites, they're the leaders of worship for the people of God. So that's something to lean into as you read and we go through some of these last um, chapters. So let's start chapter 17, starting in the first verse. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you once uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold... The silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore... I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So interesting little story so far, right? So I don't know if you, you picked up on it, um, because as I was talking about this with my wife, we agreed that at, at, a, at an initial read, it seems a little bit, um, it can trip you up. Because there's this story, this, this situation, where a mom was robbed. And then her son comes to her and says, Mom, I took it. It's not... What was tempting to actually almost see was, Mom, I got it back for you. I found it. Which, I'll be honest, I've done that before. I have robbed from my parents, and I felt so guilty that I said, Oh, I found it. It, it was just here. That wasn't the truth. He comes back, and he says, Mom, those 1,100 pieces, and watch what he says that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and which you also spoke it in my ears... The boy is convicted. Mama professed a curse over the thief, and he can't sit with his conviction, and he goes to his mom, I took it. All right, so, so far, it's like, okay, we can all understand that we've all made mistakes, and at least he owned up to it, right? Yeah, unfortunately, mom isn't a good mom here. Good thing it's not Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> oh, my boy, blessed be the Lord. What? What? 
Blessed be the Lord. You're so, this, is the, this is the prime example of my child can do no wrong. Oh, you're such a good boy. You brought it back. Thank you. And then she takes a portion of it and she says, I dedicate this to the Lord for my son. And then she has it smelted and formed into a cast that is covers over an idol. In the name of the Lord, for her son, she makes an idol with stolen money. Her money, but still stolen money. And doesn't chastise her son, but just praises her son. Um, so let's just keep talking about that a little bit. First of all, it's funny, there's a lot of irony in all of this, but um, Micah, do you know what Micah's name means? Who is like Yahweh? And it's not a, I wonder who. It's supposed to be more of a who is like Yahweh. Do you know the song, I can't remember his name, it's from the 90s by Paul, somebody, who is like the Lord? There is no one who is like the Lord. He is strong and mighty. That is what, like, who is like Micah? That would be a really weird way to sing the song, but that's what his name means. There's no one like Yahweh. No one like him. And here's Micah, who is like Yahweh, whose mom then fashions false idols in the name of Yahweh. Just as a reminder, I'm going to be going through a lot of the Mosaic Law portions of it from Exodus and Deuteronomy. I'm going to read a lot from you, and it's, it's for your benefit, so please follow along with me. So, jump back. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. This is all-encompassing. This is why I'm not trying to make everybody feel horribly wrong, but even, like, I, I think it's important that we don't erect statues of Jesus like has been done in Catholicism and a bunch of different things that even are fashioned after God. Um, and without getting into that, just because let's take this plainly, God says don't do it. Don't do it. So it's not just the clearly, oh, false idols like idols that are fashioned after uh, Baal, or any of these Canaanite gods, but even God himself. That, that's not how you worship me, according to Exodus, which is what Micah's mother just did. So she just disobeyed Exodus 20. It goes on and it says Micah, he, he takes this further, and he says it says that he made himself an ephod. Now, for those of you that don't know, an ephod was a special garment that was made for and worn by the priestly tribe of the Levites. The ministers in the temple who made provision for all of the worship for the people of Israel to God. The burnt offerings, the sacrifices, the incense, the, the, the inner holy of holies, the outer place, everything was done through them. And this was a part of their garb that they were instructed in the mosaic law god to moses said have skilled men make this for the priests to wear he decides to make one and remember he is of the tribe of ephraim one of the half tribes of israel he's not a levite 
and he makes an ephod, and he gives it to his son, who he ordains to now be a minister in his household dedicated to God of a bunch of false idols. You should be scratching your head right now, because it's like, what's going on here? It's a little bit weird, because it's all in the name of God. They're, they're saying, this is for Yahweh. Okay. Um, now, just as a side note, I'll come back to it later. Uh, but the word anoint here in this context, and we'll see it in verse 12 again, is literally translated to fill one's hands. To fill one's hands. And I can't help but, this is speculation, so take it as you will, I can't help but speculate. A man who did wrong, whose mother should have punished him and still could have shown him grace, but doesn't, and just absolutely pretends like he is God's gift to the earth, who then says, okay, I'm, I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to erect this wonderful house of worship in my house with all of these false idols. But, but to legitimize it, I need a priest. Ah, son of mine, you're doing nothing with your life. Come be my priest. And he fills his hands. And I can't help but speculate about how certain parents and even dads can put on their children responsibilities that are illegitimate to serve themselves. That's my speculation. Okay, so this is kind of the story in the first five verses, and the question that I have is, why, why did Micah do all of this? Why did this man of Israel do all of this? I think verse six kind of gives us the answer, and then I'll talk about it. So verse six of this chapter goes on, and it says this, in those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so, question. Was Micah actively trying to defy God because he was mad or upset with him? Probably not. It doesn't look like it says anything about that at all. Is he in open defiance to God, like trying, God, I know what you say, but I'm going to do it my way, and he's being very forward about it? doesn't say that. Um... In fact, this doesn't seem like there's this arbitrary attitude, this antagonistic attitude of Micah towards God. Instead, it seems like this is a tainted and thoroughly canonized sense of morality and spirituality that led Micah and even his mother to take these actions of worship. Are you worshiping your way or are you worshiping Yahweh? Again, I think it's really important to recognize this doesn't seem to be a knee-jerk reaction necessarily to a bad situation where Micah's mad at God and wants to do things his own way. They're saying all of this in the name of Yahweh to the Lord. But they are so Canaanized. They are so paganized. They are so worldly that it's tainted, and they're worshiping God in an illegitimate manner. So, here's the chilling truth. These actions are deadly sincere. The actions of Micah and his mother, they're deadly sincere in their expression, in their words, but thoroughly pagan in their action. What a thing that I can say things the right way, but do things in a completely illegitimate way. 
And even if I'm not actively trying to defy God, if this and this has become so secularized, so paganized, so worldly, I'm just doing what's natural to me. And it's in the form of worship to God. So I'll say it this way. Good expressions are no substitute for proper worship. You can say it a certain way all you want, but what are the actions? And this is what I really want us to get to. Because I know in this desire not to seem legalistic, and we're not legalistic, we don't believe in legalism, it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and his work. We're not a salvation by works people. But it is so important for us to recognize that there is a line that we cross that is too far, and we need to recognize there is a right way and a wrong way to worship God. And his word is clear on it. So let's be students of that. That's what is missing in this story. Now, verse 6 also says, there was no king in that time, in those days. Something that will be repeated again. And has already been said before. Now, here's what we don't want to fall into the trap of assuming as we try and interpret the scripture. This phrase is not here for us to assume that because there's no king, everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes, as if a monarch, a king, is the answer. That is not what this is saying at all. In fact, it's widely believed that the book of Judges is written during the time of the monarchy of Israel under, likely, one of the idolatrous kings. Not David but one of the guys who is actively, as king, leading the people into idolatrous worship. And you got a people recounting what happened a couple of generations ago, how the people were so self-deluded and so immoral that their moral standard, what was right in their own eyes and not what was right in God's eyes. And he is trying to make a point, the author, by saying that there was no king in those times to say, here, here's how I'll put it, you don't need a messed up leader to do messed up things. He's trying to say to the people of the day of when he's writing it, look at this. It doesn't matter if we have king or not. We all have it in us. So don't blame one person. It happened generations ago. And then probably for the people of this time and maybe even for us, don't think that we have a knight in shining armor who's going to come in political savviness and institute the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what the Jews did, and Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. And we can't do that either. Who's going to be our next mayor? Who's going to be our next governor? What bills are going to be passed? Who's going to be our next president? Who's going to be the next pastor? Stop. Stop. God is our leader. And it's in him and him alone that we trust above all else. And we pray for leaders. And we ask God that there will be godly people that lead us, but they're not our salvation. I'm not your salvation. Pastor Chase isn't your salvation. Local governing officials are not your salvation. It's God and God alone. So that, that's what I want you to see from verse 6. Okay. Um, now one more thing. It says that Micah chose his place of worship. It's another really important phrase that's used there. Um, Micah chose where in his house, and he was going to set up all these idols, and then uh, instituted his son to be the priest to sanction it all and make it official. I'm going to read a, a pretty lengthy chunk from Deuteronomy chapter 12, 
and I really need you to hear all of it. Hear all of it. This is written again to the Israelites who are getting ready to go into the land of Canaan and conquested. And God says, when you're here, here's how you worship. This is the way to worship. Not uh, what works for you and what you like. This is how you worship. So lean, please lean in. Chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days you live on the earth. Every day, this is how you are to follow and to live and to worship. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. Eradicate it. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So it's not just get rid of it and have nothing to do with it. Don't try and superimpose that form of worship on ways to worship Yahweh. Don't do it that way. But here's what you will do. You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes and to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today. What are we doing here today? Moses says this. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. This is even before judges. This is when they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses is saying, hey, the way you're living today doesn't fly. Doesn't fly in the kingdom that God is going to establish for you. For you have not, yet, for you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. The burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, contributions, and all your finest vow offerings that you've had of the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose is one of your tribes there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Where did Micah, what did Micah do? He chose his own place. 
not who God, what God chose for him and showed him. He's setting the pace. He's making the standards. He's dictating what worship of God looks like. And that is completely contrary to God's word. So to be honest with you, um, it's really tempting for me to draw some application at this point about specific things, like the modern Americans' church attendance patterns, um, church shopping slash hopping, um, different denominational styles of worship. I think I have a perfectly legitimate ground to leap off of and to go down that trail. I think I have biblical precedence for that, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I hope that all of us are seeing the abundantly clear message here from God's word that we can choose to worship my way or Yahweh. If there's anything that I hope you'll take away, it's that, and then you decide. My church attendance, my, my devotional patterns, my interactions with other people, my politics, my preferences. Are those my ways or are they Yahweh's, God's ways? You've got to decide that. You've got to look and discover that. Because I can sit here till I'm blue in the face and tell you, change, don't, 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 do, 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 do. But it doesn't matter if you don't embrace it yourself. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. Again, they're in Ephraim. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah, who we just were introduced to. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, oh, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man, the Levite, became to him like one of his sons. And Micah, here it is, same word, ordained, filled his hands with, ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Uh, um, there really is a lot here. Um, so again, Levites were those that stood for God and facilitated proper worship in accordance with God's commands. In Exodus chapter 32, we have the account of the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain communing with God, receiving these very commandments that we're reading parts of from Deuteronomy, Exodus, all that. He's up there, and the people get impatient, and they say, we got to worship some way, somehow, some person. So Aaron, 
hey, make us a God that we can worship. And they make the golden calf, and they bow down and they worship it. And God knows about it, and he's, Moses, get your butt down there right now. I'm about to lose it because those ungrateful, good-for-nothing children of mine are down there already turning astray to false gods. It hasn't even been a minute since we left Exodus and uh, since we've left Egypt, and they're already doing this. So Moses comes down, and he confronts the people, and I want to read for you one verse that's really important here in light of the context of this story with the Levite and Micah's household. Exodus chapter 32, verse 26, Moses comes down from the mountain, and here's what it says. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. In Exodus, the only people that stood up for what was right and stood with God, honoring God, following God's ways, were the Levites. And right here, the very person who has the power to point out how illegitimate and false Micah's way of worship was, is the very same Levite of the tribe, of the very same tribe, a Levite who sanctions this false worship. You have a Levite standing against God as he operates in his priestly function. Now it says he was sojourning in Ephraim. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 6 says this, and if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel, wherever he lives, he may come when he desires, watch this, to the place that what? The Lord will choose. We read it in Deuteronomy for the people of worship. Now, there's kind of this idea of this itinerant Levite who's going to go around. Synagogues were not a thing at this time as it would later be developed because of the exile of the Israelites in captivity into the New Testament. Synagogues were not a thing. There's the temple worship, the place at Jerusalem. But now you got all these tribes that are everywhere scattered throughout the land of Canaan, and they're not always all going to be able to travel to the, the temple and make sacrifices. So there's provision in the Old Testament that God gives where Levites and Levites alone, they may sojourn, they may wander about, and they can come and go as they please. There's a freedom to their ministry, but they only go where God sanctions. They only go where God says, you may go here, you may not go here. Has God at all been mentioned in sanctioning this place of worship in Micah's household? No, it was Micah's decision to do it. And now the very man who has the ability to confront this illegitimate place of worship is enamored and drawn in because of ambition. His response when he was questioned by Micah was, oh, you know, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem, of of Judah. I'm a legitimate man in this manner. And I'm going to sojourn wherever I find a place. (laughs) You know, I'm just looking for whoever opens up first. Whatever vacancy might be had in the town where they need a good old Levite. And Micah negotiates with him and gives him a pretty sweet deal. I have to say that I am under no conviction here, but I read this and I had to stop and say, I was never taught this as a minister going into the ministry. And I think this is really important for anybody going into ministry. 
What's your motivation? So, um, finding a place for the Levite wasn't a problem. It's how he did it. Um, Deuteronomy, as we read, declares that it's only God who gets to choose it. Um, Guy's looking for a good spot and a sweet deal, and that's what he gets. Um, And what's really interesting is that uh, one commentator pointed out that while they're totally different um, individuals and stories and all that, this Levite somewhat, somewhat mirrors Abraham. In Abraham's story, we know God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, get up, pack all your things, and go to the place that I'm showing you. And he doesn't say where. He doesn't say how long it's going to take to get there. He doesn't say what the details of the journey are going to look like. Just get up and go. And what does Abraham do? Gets up and he goes. He doesn't question God. He just goes. And, and you've got to understand, that is, that is ridiculous. Like, I need some details, God. You want me to pack up my whole life, uproot my, fam- my wife and, and, and my cattle and my wealth and my provisions and just go? That's a big deal for any of us in any context. But he doesn't question it. He just goes. God called him, and he answered the call. The Levite, who is positionally called by God, by his heritage, to be a leader, to lead the people, is not like Abraham following a call. He's following ambition. That's what this is. It's ambition. We even see this in Micah's language, where now the result was, now my house of worship is legitimized. Poor son, who he anointed. All right, I'm done with you. I got a real Levite. Are you a little bit confused right now? I hope you say yes. You should be confused. So in verse 10, again, it says, ultimately, Micah says to the Levite, here's his, uh, here's his offer. Stay with me. Be a father and a priest to me. I'll give you silver, uh, new clothes, all that you will need to live. You'll have it. Here's the contract. Just come be my priest. Um, instead of re- Micah, instead of Micah relying on a system of worship and an expression designed by God, a way of worship designed by God that is guaranteed to be effective, as quoted in the Old Testament, Micah instead is following and developing his own man-made religion. And here's the deal. Such expressions of faith can never satisfy the doubts of the human soul. And again, it's not a far reach But if you look at the first five verses of this story, Micah sinned. He stole from mommy. And now mommy's walking around saying, may a curse fall on whoever did this. And making sure Micah knows about it. So whether that means she was on to him and knew about it or was just really livid and upset and was always talking about it with Micah around, Micah is afraid and he's convicted. And rather than his mother being real with him and confronting it, she totally pacifies it, flattens it, and acts as if no harm was ever... There's nothing that's said. So I can't help but assume that the the following actions of Micah 
are a form of him trying to continue to, to attain a self-righteousness. Okay, well, now that that's dealt with, I'm going to make a household to God with the very money that I returned that you stole. And all of these carved images are going to be erected in my house. And, and, and I, need a, I need a priest. So my son, he's going to be it. But at this point, he's still dissatisfied because it's not a true Levite. It's not a true sanctioned priest. He ordains the priest himself. Well, he ordains his son as priest. What right does he have to do that? God ordains the Levitical tribe. And now it comes and he says he ordains, but it's interesting, fills his hands. What an irony there. Hey, if you'll come and be my priest, I'll give you this, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you this. And the result, now I know that the Lord will prosper me. Because of everything that he did that was illegitimate, now he's under this false pretense that now I'm in the sweet spot of God. Now I have the favor of God. And he will prosper me because I have a Levite. So um, what's the motivation of Micah here? Now is it really to worship God? Now it's all about ambition. I want to prosper. All of the false pagan gods that are mentioned throughout Scripture in the land of Canaan, all of them have to do with fertility and prosperity. All of them. Make sacrifices, do these things so that our crops will grow and that our women will have babies. That's what all the worship was for. And now that's infiltrated once again, a form of worship of Yahweh. I'm going to do all of these things and I'm going to be so self-centered and convince myself that these are the right way to do things. And now I get what I want from God. So, um, mama's boy is told that he's a good boy even though he's not a good boy fabricates his own house of worship forces his son to be an illegitimate priest stumbles upon a wandering levite who's not sure what to do with his life but's willing to jump at the first lucrative opportunity that presents itself none of this is true worship but simply a pursuit of the service of self verse 12 it said and micah ordained the levite and again and i pointed out to you that Fill the hands. Verse 13. Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a priest. What vanity? The thief who was caught working against the system is now trying to manipulate the system. Church, this is a loud and clear message that forces us to ask ourselves, what's my faith in Jesus all about? Again, why am I here? I love to ask that question a lot. Why are you here? Why are you, why are you at church today? Why do you sing songs? Why do you lift your hands? Why do you have prayer meetings, maybe in your home? Why are you trying to raise your kids to be godly people? Why are you doing a lot of actions that, albeit, might be very accurate, more so than even we see here, that actually might be very biblical, but why are you doing it? What's the motivation? What's the heart? So, um, we're going to conclude. Um, I don't have as long of a message, and everybody said amen. But as we conclude, um, one of our you markers that we have as a church is this. Are you listening to man's word or God's word? There's a whole world out there, and honestly, there's a whole 
world in here that's going to try and try and try to convince us that there are some nuances, there are some avenues that I can take that fit with what I want. Can, can I like really be clear with you that I believe this with all my heart. When you continue to conform to God's image and not the world's image, what, God's want, what God wants is what you will want. The more you serve him, it's not going to be a chore. It's going to be like, oh man, I got to do that again. It's going to start to be like, wow, yes, yes, this is what my soul craves, what my heart desires, what I need, what my body needs, what my spirit needs, what my mind needs, and I'm hungry for that. Blessed are those who hunger, who thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not going to be a chore the more that you submit and conform to the image of God. So whose word are you listening to? Man's word, God's word. Um, And here's kind of the last point that you'll get up on the screen. is this. You don't have to try hard to make your faith work for you. And I don't mean faith work for you in a positive way. That's what Micah's doing. He's trying to make his faith work for him, serve his maybe insecurity, certainly his ambition, his self-entitlement. He's trying to make it work for his own prosperity. And the point is, you don't have to work very hard to twist this to make it work for you. It's all around us. Listen, it's easy to live the way that you want to. It's so easy, man. You don't have to try to say, I'm going to do me, and nobody's going to tell me how to do me because I do me, you know? It's easy to live that way. It really is. It's difficult initially to live the way Jesus wants you to. It's a big step to say, you know what, that which I have historically done habitually in my life and that I've grown to really like, to give it up, to stop, to do it a different way, to worship God the way that he says he's to be worshipped rather than the way that I prefer to worship him and all the in-between. Initially, that's hard. But man, you will get there and it will be life-giving. So, um, let's jump to the New Testament. Let's come to Jesus now as we conclude this message and this series that I really believe is a necessary uh, launching point not next week, but the week after for the months of July and August that we're going to get into as a church that I am so excited for. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14. And this is the section title, depending on your version of the Bible, that says the cost of discipleship. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What a quick way to get everybody to leave him alone. Not that he was going for that. What a quick way to lose the masses. What a quick way to silence the amens and the yes. You got to hate everybody if you're going to follow me. You got to hate yourself if you're going to follow me. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, what a fool. He didn't know what he was getting himself or herself into. You count the cost. This man, and they would say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus stops, looks at the masses who are following him, and he says, hey, I want you to count the cost of your actions right now. You're following me. Let me tell you something about following me. He's speaking in hyperbole here because the Bible says honor your father and mother. So Jesus isn't saying literally hate your parents, but he's trying to get the point across so that it's uncomfortable to hear. Nothing can be put before God. Not mom, not dad, not brother, not sister, not children, not grandchildren, not great-grandchildren. You have to be willing to give up everything to follow me. And then he appeals to common sense. And he says in these certain examples, right, this is what they'll do, right? They'll count the cost. They won't get in over their heads. The builder, he'll budget. He'll make sure he's got the money, he's got the workforce, he's got everything he needs to be able to finish this. Otherwise, he's going to be a mockery to the people, saying, what a fool. Never should have opened up shop in the first place. The king who goes out to war, before he just arbitrarily runs out and says, yeah, I'm going to kill that good-for-nothing king across the, 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 the river, he's going to make sure, well, I better look at my army. I better make sure I have the men that I need to be able to accomplish the task. And Jesus said, it's the same with me. And if you want to follow me, you've got to be ready to take up your cross. You've got to be ready to bear the hits and everything that comes with it. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will make a way when there seems to be no way. But you've got to know what it costs. In Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And they stopped being concerned about what was right in the Lord's eyes. We've got to come back, I believe, to the basics and be reminded of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Because I think it's profoundly simple. And where we're going to go as a church for the months of July and August is to the simplest yet most necessary. Yes. And I really mean the most necessary ingredient at a foundational level as we count the cost to follow Jesus, and that is prayer. Yes. Come on. And we're going to spend two months as a church in prayer. Yes. We're going to give you more details of what, about what that looks like next week. But today, I want you to know, this is the conclusion and the starting point for us. 
we cannot be a people that does what's right in our own eyes. We cannot be a people that forsakes what is right in the Lord's eyes. We cannot fashion worship after our way. We're here to worship Yahweh, God, His way. And it is so easy, so easy, just like it was for Micah and his mother and the Levite to walk as if we're worshiping God, but doing it in a totally illegitimate manner. We can have all of the smarts that we want. I can know myself, this word, backwards and forward, and I can still go astray. And so when we enter into these next two months of prayer, the foundations of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus, here's really my hope. We're going to talk it out. We're going to flesh it out. We're going to look to Scripture, and we're going to practice it together. But here's what I really want to share with you that my grandfather said to me um, as I've been talking with him about this. He said, because he himself was actually going through a, a series with the seniors in his church on prayer. Um, and I know a couple of other churches that actually out of the blue are going through prayer right now before I, and, and I felt this from the Lord before I even heard all that. So that tells me God is saying something. This is where we need to go as a church. But my grandfather um, said this, when we pray, it's not us talking to God or at God. It's us talking with God. And at first I was like, I don't know about that. Skeptic in me. And I thought, you know, he's right. And the reason I struggle with it is because I never give God a chance to talk back. Because I really am always talking at God. Even if I do it well and I pray it right, I think we've lost the ability to listen. At least I know that's the case for me. And so the invitation is for us, after next week, is to go on this journey together. And I'm excited for it. So in closing, um, again, I just, before I pray for you, I I really can't stress to you enough. Um, First, I would maybe take note. Go back. If you've already taken notes, maybe week after week, look back over the notes of the book of Judges. What's really stood out to you? What have you taken away from this? What is God saying to you? What in particular is he saying, hey, my son, my daughter, I want you to really lean into this or these things that you learned over these last couple of weeks. And let it, let it really just stir you and move you. Think on it, dwell on it. Just don't let it pass you by and say, all right, we're done. We've wrapped that up. New sermon series. Use it. And I'm excited for us to enter into this season of prayer. And I would ask that all of you even start preparing yourselves now over the next two weeks. Let me pray for you. Jesus. I think we need to start that right now. I think we need to learn to listen right now. So I'd invite you even with what was shared today. Listen and say, God, speak to me. And even if it's pure silence, trust him.
I think God's saying some stuff to some people right now. Maybe not everybody is attuned to it, but I think God's saying some stuff to some people right now. Maybe he's encouraging you and maybe he's convicting you right now. And I want to invite you to talk about it with him now. Commune with God. Start speaking with him right now. Lord, you see the journey that we've been on and you've laid out the journey for us in the months to come. So Lord, for those of us that maybe are just so underdeveloped in our prayer life, God, I pray that you would just put this insatiable, ravenous hunger in us thirst in us to lean into prayer. God, I pray that these weeks to come, these months to come would be so transformative that our prayer life with you would become such moments of life, whether it be in pure silence or intercession or declaring psalms of your word, whatever form it takes, I pray we would talk with you and learn to listen to you and not simply at you. I thank you and I praise you. And in Jesus' name, the people of God said, amen and amen. All right. We have one announcement that I want to send you off with before you leave. Um, but before I do that, I want to wish again a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And I've been working on my fatherly skills for a while now. So I want to share this joke with you. I did not write this. What do you call a magician's dog? A labracadabrador. <laughs> Very good. All right. Enjoy that, dads. Um, that one's for you. Anyway, uh, this Wednesday, which is, uh, what is that? Wednesday the 21st is our love group celebration. If you guys pop up that slide. That is Wednesday, the June, June 21st at 6.30 in the evening, okay? And this is going to be held at Sherelle's house, who, if you didn't know, lives right up the road. And if you need to know that is the address as well as if you scan that QR code that's going to open Google Maps right up for you which has the address right there um, and so please do that right now what I would encourage is that everybody is invited to this we are celebrating our love groups we're celebrating the end of this season that we've gone through uh, which has been an awesome season and we thank you to all of our leaders and everyone who's done a great job behind the scenes uh, and in front of the scenes for all of that stuff however this is open to absolutely everybody, and honestly, I would say it's, I would, I would rather see the people who have not shown up to the love groups be there, because this is a great opportunity for you to get to know one another, for us to get to know you, 
Um, and so whether or not you attended a love group, you are invited and you are uh, asked to, to please be in attendance and be a guest. There's going to be food. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and that, again, is this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Everyone got it? Yeah. All right, can we stand? And let us dismiss. Fathers, remember to grab your gifts on the way out. So that way you don't have to get mugged <laughs> by Sherelle. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, I thank you that you are our good, good father who has never let us down, who has never forsaken us, who has always been faithful. God, even through all of our unfaithfulness, you have been faithful as we've seen through this entire book of Judges. Lord, I thank you for this series and everything that we've been able to learn through it. Continue to help us to uh, see the harvest that comes out of what you have sown into our hearts through this entire series, Lord, and lead us into this new season, Lord, that it would not be a season about us, not be a season about fulfilling our own desires or, or needs um, or wants, Lord, but would be about worshiping you in spirit and in truth. God, be with your people as they go today. I pray a special blessing over all the fathers, Lord. May they be, uh, may they feel special today, Lord, and may they be honored in the position that you have called them to fulfill, continue to give them strength to continue to fill that position, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. 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 We will see you all next week and hopefully Wednesday night. <laughs>